Seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business. And I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. I am thrilled and excited to kick off this week's conversation with Zane Raj, um, we know that most business leaders and managers focus on operational, financial, and other tactical elements and forget that the most important job that they must do is earn and retain their stakeholders. And we'll define that momentarily, their stakeholders' trust. And if they use this prism, um, they will unlock the power of unprecedented growth. And that is exactly what our next guest, a visionary leader, business accelerator, and industry futurist, Zane Raj, combines innovation and creativity to create new business models for the future. You wrote a new book. It's called The Pyramid Puzzle. Zane, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be on the show with you, Shalom. Absolutely. I know you're the chairman and CEO of Shapiro and Raj. I know you're also the founder and CEO of Zed Next. We're going to talk about all of those things and your other books. Um, but uh, Zane, uh, in your new novel, The Pyramid Puzzle, you say that the average business consultant often focuses on the wrong things when they're called in to help a struggling brand or business. What do you think most consultants get wrong and how did you develop a passion for this line of work? Well, uh, what happens when a business starts struggling, right? And when they start, uh, when business owners look for help from the outside and they bring consultants in, is they all start, uh, you know, by looking at all of the operational aspects of the business, right? Because, hey, maybe it's your pricing that's wrong. Maybe it's your product portfolio that's wrong. Maybe it's, you know, uh, you are not in the right market spaces. And they start looking at all the tactics things that the business is built on but what they all forget and what most consulting firms have never built a capability in is to understand the aspect of at the end of the day any business that exists exists to serve a human being right and I talk about this a lot I go you know you think you're in the hospitality business you think you're in the consulting business you think in the manufacturing you're actually not Every business is a people business because you don't exist if there isn't a human being at the other end that looks to your business to solve a problem that they have, right? And you have to solve it in a way that's distinct and differentiated. And what do human beings want, right? When, but at the end of the day, they want to be able to trust the business to solve the problem in a way and then, you know, and deliver a product and a service that basically helps them move on. And this is where consulting firms have not built the skills and capabilities. And having been part of the whole world for the now almost 40 years, Shalom, you know, it's going to be 40 years next year of me working to solve people's problems, right? In different parts of the world and in different categories, what you learn is treat people as human beings. And the only thing that foundationally creates reciprocity is the fact that I trust you, you trust me because we solve problems for each other consistently. 
Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Zane Raj, who is the author of The Pyramid Puzzle. And uh, Zane, I hear the passion in your voice. Um, and indeed, we know that trust is the most uh, under-leveraged impact maker in the business world today. And the power of trust can help any company. And you've been emphasizing that over the past few minutes. Any company, regardless of industry, ignite growth in a way never imagined before. And you talk all about that again in the pyramid puzzle. So again, identifying trust is key to business success. We've come to that conclusion over the past few minutes, but can you define trust in the context of business, Zane? Absolutely. You know, I think the reason why a lot of people have difficulty with the concept of trust is trust, you know, is feels like a feeling, right? And it's supposed to elicit a certain emotion. And which is part of the reason why, unfortunately, it's one of the most used words, actually overused word in life and business, and the least understood, right? Because, you know, how do you explain a feeling and how do you explain, uh, you know, that kind of emotion is going to go? And, and, and it's, uh, you know, and it's interesting, as I've studied the concept and as I've built the foundation on it, it actually, trust is built on a very, very simple uh, uh, you know, algorithm, right? And it's it's this. It's first have set a clear expectation, right? If you're building trust among uh, with each other, set a clear expectation of what could you expect from me, and what should I expect from you. The second thing, part of the equation is exceed those expectations consistently. So a lot of people talk about you know make a promise, uh, you know deliver on the promise. The key thing that they got to realize is you can't just deliver on the promise. You got to exceed on a consistent basis because once you meet an expectation once, the next time the person has a slightly elevated expectation of you, right? On the same thing. So exceed the expectation. And the third thing that's most important is do it consistently, right? Make sure that you are not failing on this. And it's such a simple idea, but it becomes so hard to execute. Because 90 plus percent of companies and individuals do not set clear expectations of the receiver, right? You know, I mean, how many? I actually was doing a keynote in a healthcare space last week, and I landed up, you know, as part of that, looked at the companies that were attending, and I put the tagline, right? This is stuff that they advertise and set an expectation. And all of those were like, you know, we care about the world of health. And we, there was nothing specific. And the point I made to them was I said, if you think about cars, right, you know, when you think about BMW, you got a clear expectation. It's the ultimate driving machine, right? <laughs> when you think about a Volvo, it's a safe car, right? When you think about Mercedes-Benz, it's, it's Mercedes-Benz or nothing. It's about prestige. They set clear expectations, and then you know what to expect from them. And that's why they become solidly powerful brands. Are you doing the same thing? And, you know, it's fascinating. There were a number of people pretty upset in that group because they're like, man, what you've made us seem like we're foolish. And I'm like, no, you're not foolish. You're just following the category paradigm of the past versus thinking about the world of today and the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. So uh, we know that a business's three constituents, when we talked about stakeholders a few minutes ago, are customers, employees, and suppliers. So in our just brief couple of minutes remaining, can you, uh, can you uh, outline where are the trust pressure points for each of these uh, three groups that, again, we're defining as uh, stakeholders in the pyramid puzzle? You know, it's, uh, when you think about each of those three stakeholders, the basic place where the trust problem starts is the lack of expectations or misalignment. I'll give you an example. 
Employees of a company, they believe that they are the essential lifeblood of the business, right? That they are the indispensable assets of the business, right? They are the ones who are driving it. You know what the business behavior to them is? They're very dispensable expenses, Jeez. right? You know, hey, I'm not making money. We're, you know, we, we got stock prices under pressure. Let me cut you, furlough you, send you away, right? So I'm expected to be an, in, I believe I'm an indispensable asset. Again, I get treated as a dispensable expense. When you're a supplier, right? Most suppliers believe that they're going to be valued partners to the business, right? Guess what the business thing behaves with them, right? Is a negotiable vendor, right? It's fascinating. 92% of the Fortune 200 talk about important suppliers. They actually they have don't have a supplier management uh, uh, process. They have a vendor management process, right? So they don't even get the language that they speak right in their behaviors, right? When you look at consumers, right, and your customers of business thinks that they are the lifeblood again of the business, right? Without me, you have no reason to exist. What do we treat them? What does the business treat them? As an economic engine, right? I'm going to, once you become a customer, I'll treat, take you for granted and I'll run promotions and different things to bring somebody else in. I'm not going to serve you. That is fundamentally the foundation of why businesses don't have trust with any of those constituencies. If they can fix the expectation and align on the expectation, behave against the expectation, you wouldn't have a problem. Absolutely. Again, I've been chatting with Zane Raj, the amazing, passionate author of The Pyramid Puzzle. Uh, it is absolutely a fantastic read. And uh, Zane is also the author of Marketing for Tomorrow Night Yesterday and Brand Rituals, How Successful Brands Bond with Customers for Life. Clearly a, uh, an expert on the topic. And again, uh, Zane, I know that you are the chairman and CEO of Shapiro and Raj, as well as the founder and CEO of Zed Next, an ideas incubator that takes an objective and disruptive look at issues and trends to help marketers and business leaders realize their full potential in a data-driven digitally led and insights driven world. Zane, I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and pick up a copy of these great reads. How can we do that? Well, I think the easiest and the best way might be to just go to my website. It's called zaneraj.com and, you know, uh, they are uh, and email me and or email me at zane at zaneraj.com. That's one easy way. The other easy way is to uh, reach out to me at my business uh, uh, email, zane at shapiroraj.com. Uh, that's second. And the third, very easy is hit me up on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, absolutely. We'll make sure that our listeners do that. A quick break here on the show. Let's small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Get Down to Business. I'm thrilled to be joined by Kira Wisman, who is a dynamic, dedicated operational finance leader, offering 20 plus years of experience in both the private and public sectors. Her leadership style is collaborative and compassionate, and she brings an array of excellent technical skills with a practical application to the table. Through years of experience in a variety of settings and industries, she possesses a very well-rounded view of the business world. And I'm absolutely excited to welcome Kira to the program here and get down to business. So Kira, I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. That's quite an impressive resume and background that you have over here. Um, why do you become so passionate about uh, taking care of uh, employees and people in today's rough and tumble business world? 
Yeah, I'll tell you what, it, it comes from uh, going through some tough jobs as I was coming out of college and starting my career in accounting and realizing that uh, managerial style really made a difference in what you could get out of people. And, you know, I had some bad managers that taught me some tough lessons and I kind of decided, almost left the accounting field, but decided to kind of you know, flipped the script. I went, got a psychology degree and really uh, became passionate about advocating for employees, motivating people, knowing their strengths and weaknesses so we could get the best out of them and making sure that each person is in the right seat within the organization to maximize the organization's success and that individual person's success. That's wild. So uh, that's awesome. And obviously that's led to your role now as the CFO and the controller at KWC CPAs. Uh, again, as we said a moment ago, bringing over 20 years of expertise in the private and public um, sector. So uh, that's great. You know, it's always awesome, especially uh, I, I come from a uh, from a family of accountants and seeing that focus on obviously being able to read the balance sheet, but also, again, read the people in the room as well. So I want to talk about the people side of things first, and then we'll get into a little bit of the accounting, accounting nuances, which is certainly important at this time of year. But um, I'm sure you've done many personality assessments, both on yourself as well as on some your employees. What type of leadership style works the best, Kira? Uh, you know, really being collaborative. You're talking to people in real talk, not talking down to people. And, uh, you know, maintaining a level of respect as a manager, it's very important not to be too friendly with your staff. But, you know, getting to know each person to some extent is important. And allowing them to understand that it is okay to make mistakes. It is okay to ask as many questions as it possibly can uh, to, get the, to get the job done, to get the answer right, and not making people feel uh, bad. You know, you, you don't want anybody to come into work every day afraid and scared to do their job because they're afraid of how they phrase something might not be how their manager would phrase something. So I, I really work hard to bridge that gap and understand where individuals are coming from. Absolutely. And your line of work that's so important because your uh, your clients uh, certainly rely on uh, on the, the talent behind the scenes um, to make sure that they're keeping them straight and uh, straight and, and, and ready to go, especially in this busy time of year. So I want to dive into that a little bit. It's an important time of year. This is the time when everybody's starting to freak out a little bit. They're starting to get those shoe boxes ready um, for their accountant. Believe it or not, uh, as we air this show, we're going to be going into uh, Q four of 2023, which means it's almost the beginning of tax season. Um, so Kira, why is a qualified accounting professional critical to the success of small businesses like those uh, tuning into this program? You know, all too often, a small business doesn't want to take the time to take the time or necessarily spend the money to, to pay a professional to sort through their financial uh, shoebox, as you said. And it, it is important because a small business has a rager razor sharp margin in most cases, and they need to know where they stand. They need to know what is an asset versus what is an expense. What do they have? What if what is what they're spending more than what they're making? Why might that be? How can we take a look at your revenue stream? We can give you ideas on how to, how to increase that, how to make goals, how to, to meet those goals. And, you know, as an individual, you're often more worried about just running your business the day to day. And you're not going to sit down at night and comb through all your receipts, understand where they go. You might not have the expertise to know where they go because you know how to run your business doesn't necessarily know 
mean you know how to put together a set of financial statements and understand how to read them and that's where we come in and you know that the expense is definitely worth the value add there especially in the early days you get yourself off on the right financial foot and you are a, a long way towards running a very successful business no question about it. So if there's one takeaway that I have from our conversation so far with Kira Wisman is that, you know, it, it, it takes all types, but certainly, uh, again, uh, we talked a little bit about the people side of things, uh, that collaborative approach. Um, and uh, collaboration is important, especially when it comes to, uh, again, taking care of your finances. Um, you don't need to do it all on your own. There's some great software that's out there as well, great accounting software that's available. And so, Kira, I know you've become somewhat of an expert on this topic, but what types of accounting software works best for different types of businesses? Sure, you know, QuickBooks and desktop QuickBooks Online, QuickBooks Online is, is pretty much the standard these days for most businesses, unless you have some very specific um, issues that require something like desktop. But th those are like kind of the, the gold standard for small business. They're easy to use, easy to understand. Uh, a, a business owner or an operator can get in there and, and look around and, and it's presented in a very plain language sort of way. As your business grows, as your reporting needs grow, uh, especially if you're in an inventory heavy business or a purchase order in, in intense business, you're going to want to kind of step up and take a look at a product like Sage Intact that is uh, accounting on steroids. Still a mid-level size accounting package, kind of an out-of-the-box type of accounting package that is you customize from the ground up. You know, it's, it's less expensive than a custom build, but it gets you some really detailed reporting. You can kind of slice and dice your data as many different ways as you want uh, to get kind of the, the insights you might need on um, really granular information inside your business. So uh, those are the two software packages that we currently work with. There are others out there. There is a, a software package called Zero that I think is even a little bit more uh, basic and user-friendly than QuickBooks for those who are just starting out. And uh, QuickBooks and Zero are the price points are very affordable uh, for, for just about anybody. And so, you know, starting out with an accounting package is important. You don't really want to start out with a bunch of spreadsheets and uh, or, or even, you know, paper ledgers or anything like that. So um, it, it's not as expensive as you might think. And as your business grows, there are many software packages that can grow with you. Absolutely. So on to a really important topic, especially again, this time of year is business owners that often sometimes commingle funds. It's sometimes hard to keep track of all of their expenses, receipts, and so on. So Kira, why should business owners keep their receipts and identify personal versus business expenses? Uh, this is the number one issue we run into with small businesses who are approaching us for help. And you know, if, if you take a step back and you look at it, if you are working as an employee in a job, you're not commingling your salary with your business's expenses. So why would you want to do that with a business that you own? You want to know what your business is making, what your business is spending. If you're just using your personal credit card and you are now mixing your grocery expenses, your medical expenses, your business expenses, you're going to have a really difficult time because no one's going to remember at the end of a month or end of a quarter or whenever you're going back and reviewing this information, uh, what, what is business? What is personal? So it is just much easier to separate the two at the start. You know, treat your business as a completely separate entity from your personal life, just like you would if you were an employee somewhere and you pay yourself out of the business. So you can pay yourself a salary. You can take the, uh, distributions to pay your personal expenses 
and and that way that it's much easier to track and come tax time come financial reporting time you're going to be in much better shape and, and you will you won't be uh, risking putting personal expenses in a business which the irs does not like absolutely so uh we're running out of time and i have time for one more question and that's the importance of a balance sheet and um you know so often business owners are told that a balance sheet's important but kira how does one learn to actually read it uh, you know you ask a professional a balance sheet is, is a pretty easy is pretty easy to understand if you look at the big picture. It is simply a snapshot in time of what you have, what your business has, cash, assets, fixed assets, your computers, your chairs, your furniture, whatever that might be, what you owe, your credit card bills, any loans you've taken out, any bills you owe for materials you buy to run your business at any point in time. And the net of those two, the assets minus the liabilities, is hopefully positive. And that is your value of your business on that mm -hmm. point in time. So understanding that balance sheet, it tells you how much your business is worth and really gives you an idea of, okay, I have $100,000 in assets and uh-oh, I have $300,000 yeah. in liabilities we might need to take a look at, you know, and, and see where we're Absolutely. going. Absolutely. Well, Kira, that's great. I've learned so much from you. I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and your amazing team. How can we do that? Uh, you can find us on our website at www.kwccpa.com. You can reach out to my email, which is kira.wisman at kwccpa.com. Or you can find me on LinkedIn and you can reach out that way. Fantastic. Kira Wisman, thank you so much for sharing your expertise on people, accounting, an important conversation, an important time of year. I can't wait to have you back on real soon. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And speaking of small business, we know many of you small business owners out there are struggling to identify the solution for your health care needs, both for your family as well as for your employees. For that reason, I encourage you to reach out to our good friend, Tom Mirabali from healthplanchicago.com. You can reach him uh, at 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477, or get on his website, healthplanchicago.com, once again, for all of your health insurance and Affordable Care Act needs. But what else do small business owners think about? We know that if you're new in the market and you're wondering just how your small business can stand out among the millions of brands currently on social media. So I want to talk about a couple of things. So first and foremost, why is social media so important for small business? The biggest benefit to using so social media is that it's a low-cost strategy to increase your brand awareness. While you, of course, have to invest time and resources in building out your content, you can create high-quality content frankly, with just a reliable phone and a few tools at your disposal. In addition, with social media, you have the potential to reach your target audience for a fraction of what you would pay in targeted ads. For instance, you may spend $100 developing creative assets for a video that ends up reaching 100,000 users. To reach those same users with an ad, you'll likely have to invest quite a bit more money. In addition, social media allows you to drive more traffic to your website and generate leads, promote products and services, build a community, connect with and learn from your target audience. So when you get down to it, the way you use social media as a small business isn't much different from how you'd use it in a mid to a large size business. In both cases, you're sharing, you're engaging, you're monitoring, and you are optimizing. The key difference is that a small business is likely focused on growth, while an established business 
may prioritize expansion. So a couple of quick tips in our couple of minutes of this segment. I want to talk to you about being consistent. The best thing you can do as a small business when starting out on social media is to be consistent. Too often brands get discouraged if they don't see results within a few weeks. The truth is social media growth can be slow, but like many things, if you remain consistent, you will generate results. This means posting high-quality content on a regular basis, which I would define as at least once a week. And you could do this for a few reasons. The first is that when a user does land on your profile, you want them to get a clear picture of your brand. If you have little to no content, users will quickly lose interest and leave. The same is true for scattered posts. Social media is an opportunity to tell a story. When you prioritize consistency and cohesiveness, Users will know what to expect from your page, what your voice is, and what you offer. And that's how you'll attract your target audience. Diversify your content. On social media, there is so much room to be creative and experiment. Too often, brands find the one strategy that works and stick with that. But there's a lot of truth to saying if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Social media is constantly evolving. What worked yesterday may not work today. As these platforms implement new features and user behavior changes. With this in mind, you want to play around with content formats as much as possible. For instance, on TikTok, you can only post videos. However, on Facebook, you have the option of going live, posting images, conducting polls, and so much more. A couple of formats that you can leverage and that you should leverage is photos, videos, illustrations, um, live streams, polls. With content, the limit truly does not exist. And from the research I've done is that you get the best return on investment or ROI by creating educational and relatable content. Meanwhile, mid-sized and large businesses report better results with funny and interactive content. So pay, pay attention to that. And you know, as we come to a close in this conversation, I want you to focus on quality instead of quantity. This applies not only to the content that you post, but also to which platforms you post. From a content perspective, while it is encouraged that you post often on social media, there is a caveat. Everything you post should add value. If it doesn't meet that criteria, consider another strategy, such as reposting brand-related content from a non-competitor or sharing user-generated content. In fact, 33% of small businesses surveyed report getting the best ROI on social media by leveraging user-generated content. Now onto the platforms. If you're a small business with limited time and resources, you may not be able to manage an account on every single social platform, and that's okay. It's much more valuable to focus on one to three platforms that have your target audience demographics and go from there. According to some research that I did, small businesses are prioritizing Facebook and YouTube uh, this year, even though they report that Facebook and Instagram generate the highest quality leads. However, if your audience is Gen Z, you may choose to focus your efforts on TikTok and grow your audience there. Pay attention to the trends. Um, that's really, really important because, again, like we said a few minutes ago, what's true today is not going to be true tomorrow. And again, if you focus on all these areas, again, to recap, you want to focus on those trends. You want to focus on the quality over the over the quantity. You want to make sure that you are diversifying your content. And again, you are being consistent. If you do all those things, and again, you pay attention to those trends, you will discover your audience is waiting there for the content that you're putting out there. And again, that's what's going to make you stand out from the many larger businesses, from the many larger organizations that are out there. Stay 
uh, stay attention, uh, pay attention to your customers, to your clients, to your local community, and and definitely share your information with local chambers of commerce. They're there to support you in your small business growth, and hopefully they're support, again, that local community. So again, I hope you found this information helpful. As always, I love hearing from our listeners. So get on my website, sykline.com, sykline.com, or of course, check out this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Just search on Google, Apple, Spotify, subscribe, rate, review, and share makes it even easier for fellow small business owners to find out about all the great content that we're putting out there. And speaking of great content, we've got a lot more in store for you after this quick break. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. So I've been thinking a lot about this question. What constitutes a successful career? And we know that that answer may have dramatically changed over the last 50 years, but the journey people make as human beings across different life cycles, well, it's eternal. And that is exactly what our next guest, David Oxley, uh, writes about in his new book, A Career Carol, A Tale of Professional Nightmares and How to Navigate Them. David Oxley, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know you are uh, the veteran of uh, leadership and management, uh, many different leadership and management roles, and that's exactly why I wanted to bring you on to this program. Uh, David, for starters, I mean, how did you develop uh, sort of a passion for this topic? Um, it's a really awesome title, A Career Carol. Well, I suppose th- th- there's two ways to answer that. The first is, you know, how did I end up working as a leadership coach uh, and working in the human resources space. That's a that's a story of how careers unfold somewhat unexpectedly. But I started as a management consultant and then ended up going to work for a couple of big companies. And for different reasons, I ended up running their human resources functions. And you end up realizing pretty early on that the best way to help organizations perform is to help individuals be the best versions of themselves to to overcome their own obstacles and barriers and ultimately that's what I've spent the last 20 or 30 years doing so much so that I was so fascinated by this nature of human beings and how we perform that I ended up uh, doing a doctorate in it just to punctuate it and get all the academic background I know that sounds terribly boring but actually it was very interesting and uh so that's really sort of the background that led us to uh, eventually and somewhat reluctantly writing the book. It it's, doesn't sound boring at all. I mean, I think it's great. Again, a tale of professional nightmares and how to navigate them. Um, you, uh, you you wrote this title, and I think it's a little bit of a take on the Charles Dickens classic. So uh, you've got a you got a little bit of jokes in there as well. So let's talk about uh, again navigating careers, past, present, and yet to come, and what a career carol is really all about. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. We wanted to have fun with it. That was probably one of the three central tenants that uh, that we agreed about a year, year and a half ago. Uh, we had been having ongoing conversations about the people that we were trying to help. Um, uh, my writing collaborator, Dr. Schuster, is working with a number of young entrepreneurs across Europe who had started their own businesses. And we, we often talked about how we could help them overcome their challenges and their challenges were sort of these personal challenges of how they could be effective how they could go about making their businesses more successful 
And we kept coming back to, you'd have the conversations with these people and then find that they'd say, well, is there something I can read that would reinforce these points? And we found it very hard to find something that fitted that space. A lot of the literature on careers and leadership sort of are somewhat dated now, 20, 30 years old, and the context has changed. So the first thing was to try and fill that gap. How do, how do we write something that would appeal to a Gen Z, next gen population? And the answer to that question was, let's have fun with it. Let's make it a story. Let's make it something that uh, uh, would uh, would be entertaining to read and not uh, a tough read. So that was the, the, the first tenant. And the second thing was, you know, how do you make sure that you're true to yourself, that as you, a lot of the Gen Z population that we've been talking to are very concerned that careers are leading them to sort of be someone that they're not, to be inauthentic, to to mold themselves to what this sort of job market expects them to be rather than what they want to be. So trying to help people navigate that. The, the Charles Dickens career carol, just uh, sorry, a Christmas carol, just beautifully fit in with that narrative, the idea of you're sitting there uh, the day before your graduation, wondering what your career is going to be like, and then you get visited by these four ghosts that uh, foretell what is ahead and give you uh, a, a, a story of the nightmares that you need to be careful that you don't end up uh, falling victim to. Absolutely. And we know that career advice has been spoken about quite a bit over the past number of years, especially, again, as we've gone through a recession, and then certainly over the pandemic, we've seen all sorts of crazy times up and down. But one of the things that I find interesting, again, in a career carol is uh, you talk a lot about how to maximize return from a career. And one of the things that you promise, again, it's in the title, a tale of professional nightmares and how to navigate them is you highlight some, through humor, some real stories. And so I, I'd love to hear more from you, David. Uh, I mean, what what was some of the uh, inspirational stories that, uh, that, that you were able to capture in this great read. Uh, well, thank you for that. I, I hope other people agree with you that it's a great read. Uh, I, I, the, the four big nightmares that we captured, the, the, the inspiration behind them is the social science behind our, and, and this gets into the nerdy piece, the social science of us as human beings and how our lives mature over the space of 40 years, the different phases we go through and how that intersects into your professional life. It's very difficult to separate careers from you know, the nature of human beings and how we mature. So we very much looked at the nightmares and the stories as the intersections of these things. And then we thought about how it would be great to get characters to really amplify the point. So the first one we have is this failure to launch. And I just love the idea of using uh, uh, one of these classic American football coaches to come back as a ghost. And uh, there's a sort of Yogi Berra component to some of the quotes he gives in that first section. Uh, I think that, for me, was a real fun uh, part of the story. Absolutely. Well, David Oxley, we're going to have to leave it there for a moment. We're going to come back and continue our conversation. When we return and get down to business, lots more from uh, a Career Carol, a tale of professional nightmares and how to navigate them when we return on Get Down to Business in just a moment.
Welcome back to Get Down to Business. So we know that what constitutes a successful career, frankly, it may have dramatically changed over the last 50 years, but the journey that people make as uh, human beings across different life cycles, it's eternal. In fact, just as I was preparing for this conversation, somebody asked me on the street at the uh, the coffee shop, they said, what do you do? And it led me to ponder that question. What do I do? Is it what I do professionally? I know uh, our uh, returning guest over here, David Oxley, the author, co-author of A Career Carol, A Tale of Professional Nightmares and How to Navigate Them, uh, talks a lot about this. Um, So David, welcome back to the program. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. So lots of career advice in this book, but there's humor, there's stories, all sorts of things. How would you say that things have changed over the past, uh, I'd say, five decades? I think that's a great question. And if you're trying to give people career advice, and you you, you may be similar to us in the sense that, that there are a number of people who say, well, you seem to have done reasonably well, or you've been reasonably successful. Tell us the secret. And the difficulty of answering those questions is, it's very much anchored in the context that you started your career 40 years ago. Careers were fairly analog uh, and, and the idea of networks and personal relationships really mattered. Where you went to school really mattered. And so if you're giving career advice in a way, it's difficult to bridge that, uh, what we call the analog digital divide that, uh, that now people take just as a sort of commonplace that you can get jobs online through LinkedIn and other sources. So what we feel is important is to try and drag it much deeper into the sort of emotional component, the, what we call the intrinsic drivers of individuals. What makes you happy? What are you good at? What makes you fulfilled? What's your identity? And how do you try and link that to your career? Because the big challenge is that you wake up in your 30s and 40s and say, how how did I end up here? This is <laughs> This is not making me happy. I've ended up in a place I didn't really want to be. So being tethered to who you are and your identity is is really important. And I think that's the best career advice you can give people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, David, this is a really important conversation at all times, but especially now as we enter into the end of the year, I, th- I, I find that it's a time when a lot of people are uh, pretty uh, introspective and, and starting to look at, again, are, are they happy? Um, but especially this next-gen uh, uh community is constantly looking at, again, how they can have that purpose, how they can define ambitions and dreams. And you talk a lot about this in the book. So, uh, David, I only have time for one more question before, of course, we get our listeners in touch with you and uh, the ability to pick up a copy of this great read. But what are you seeing and hearing from your next-gen collaborators that I know inspired so much this book? What are some of the uh, common themes and trends that maybe weren't true when you started looking for a job? I, I, great question. Um, yes, just to amplify the point that we had about 10 or 12 next-gen entrepreneurs that contributed to the book. And so their views are, uh, make it a bit of, of a multi-generational perspective, which we thought was important. And the key thing that came across time and time again was the dangers of getting swept along in your early career by other people's expectations, by comparison to what other people are doing. You know, I want a great job and I'm not sure what a great job really represents. So I, I, I compare myself to other people and then start to compete with them. And the problem with that is that it's very often the wrong thing for you as an individual. So the, the thing that came across time and time again is just be sure that whatever direction you're going in, 
is really mm -hmm. good for you as an individual. It's really good for uh, who you really are. Well, I don't want to share all the secrets because I know folks can read a lot more in your book and get in touch with you and your co-author. How can we do that? Well, uh, we uh, are available now on Amazon for pre-orders for the book. So the most obvious thing is for people to go out and buy a copy of the book. That'd be great. But in addition to which, we have a website, doctorsschusteranoxley.com. Uh, you can contact us via that. And we're on all of the big social media platforms. Fantastic. David Oxley, really appreciate you coming on, enlightening us in this conversation. Can't wait to bring you back on again real soon. That's a wrap for us here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, syclient.com. I love to hear from our listeners. And be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share on your favorite podcast app. To success, let's get down to business.